This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay, and I'm so grateful you're here today. Hey, today you're listening to episode 300. 300. I've done this 300 times now. And my guest is Rajpal Panu. Wow. He had an amazing race at the Hoka Anayane Carbon X 2 project. His debut in the 100K, he became the third fastest American of all time at that distance. And he is going to share all about the race in this podcast episode. Before we talk about that, though, we get into so many other things, his history with running, what it looked like to start his college career at a community college and then go to run D1. He has some really wise things to say about where you choose to go run in college or where you choose to go to college at all. We also talk about what it means to him to be at the start line of these races, these ultra distance races or any race for that matter, as a person of color. He is a first generation Indian American. I love this quote from his recent Instagram post. Not sure how to put it into words, but I wanted to prove that you don't have to look a certain way come from a certain background or have a certain body type to run. So we dig into that a little bit in this episode. Hey, this episode is supported by Gooder, my favorite sunglasses. I wear them all the time. I'm sunglass obsessed. They have all kinds of fun colors. They are cute. They're fun. They're functional. They don't slide around and they're very affordable. My favorite happened to be my red PBR shades. But I also really love the Amelia Earhart Ghosted Me Aviator style shades as well. And I'm so excited that you all listening can save 15% when you go to gooder.com slash another. Use the code another at checkout and that will save you 15%. All right. A new episode dropped on Patreon just yesterday with my friend Lauren Flores. We do episodes every single month over there. Uh, For the month of February, I've committed to dropping an episode on Patreon every single Wednesday. So, And what Patreon is, is it's just a way that you can financially support my work behind this podcast. And in return, you get lots of bonus episodes. We would love to have you join us. Actually, next Tuesday, we are doing a live podcast on Patreon. So you have to be a subscriber to tune in and it's going to be a live Q and a listeners can be interactive during the conversation. Glenn and I will both be on and Emma, my assistant will also be on. Um, We'll answer any questions you have and just have a fun conversation over there. We would love to have you join us. If you can't make it on Tuesday night, February 8th at 8.30 p.m. Eastern time. It'll just drop into your feed if you're a Patreon supporter on Wednesday. So that's super exciting. Head over to patreon.com slash lindsayhine to check it out. All right. Enjoy my conversation with Rajpal Panu. All right. Well, today on the podcast, we have Rajpal Panu on the show. Welcome to the show, Rajpal. Hey, thanks for having me, Lindsay. Appreciate you. How are you? How are you feeling coming off the second place, third fastest all-time American at the Hoka Ane Ane Project Carbon 2 race? I'm, I'm still riding the high. Uh, to be honest, I, I kind of visualized myself uh, 
having a marquee race like this. Um, the workouts were in place, um, and I felt like I kind of just had my back against the wall in the sense that uh, the week leading up to the race in itself, my uh, my car got stolen. Oh, wow. So I was just like, you know what? I was like, you know what? I need – the universe needs to balance this out, and I need to have a good race. So I'm, I'm doing good as a result of it. Okay, I have to hear a little bit more about how your car got stolen. What happened? Do you know anything? That's the – that's – oh, my gosh. This is a very face palm story. Um, <laughs> well, so for, for Project Carbon X2 – you have to take two uh, COVID tests prior to coming to the hotel and taking your final one. Okay. And these tests are done through a Zoom call uh, by an independent agency, and they'll um, they'll ship they'll ship the test to you, and you have to schedule an appointment. And that day, that same day, you have to ship your test. And it was Monday. It was Martin Luther King Day. And um, woke up, took the test through Zoom, did the swab, and uh, I finished my run and I got into my car and my car wasn't starting. Hmm. So I called AAA and they come over and they jump the car in itself. They're like, okay, uh, you had a dead battery. You're going to have to leave your car on for 30 minutes. Mm. You can, yeah, you can run errands. Um, you can get gas, whatever, but it has to be on for 30 minutes. And I was like, well, this is an ideal time for me to at least uh, drop off the test, the COVID test. So I drive over to UPS, uh, the store, and I, I leave it running. And I'm right next to the store in itself. And I'm in downtown Denver. That's okay. where I'm currently living. So I go to the store. Uh, I drop off the test. Totally fine. I get into my car and I'm like, you know what? I need some oatmeal and a couple of snacks. I drive over to the Safeway parking lot and it's full, completely full. And I'm like, all right, I got to have this car on for like 15 or so more minutes. I'm just going to go out for 10, maybe not even 10 minutes. And I like think about like the risk and I'm like, okay, this is a calculated risk. <laughs> right. Yeah, so I like go I go to Safeway and take no longer than like 6 minutes. And and typically if I'm going to the grocery store, it's kind of like a gala, like I'll just observe items, food items, things on sale. You know, like it's like a whole ordeal, but uh -huh. this time I'm not, like I'm not messing around. Um so I spend no less than like 7 minutes or so. Get my snacks, come out go to the parking lot and I'm like, okay, maybe my car's like on the other side. And I like walk over a couple, like a couple rows over and I, and it just like hits me like a ton of bricks. <laughs> I'm like, your car is not here. Like I had to like give some self talk. Your car is like somebody took your car. So, and I like look around and I'm just like, oh man, this is not an ideal neighborhood at all. Mm. Um, there was just a lot of people loitering and mm -hmm. it just like came mm -hmm. into fruition. So, uh, I file a police report and it's incredibly cold and I'm about like a mile away or so. And, uh, my car only had like 10 miles left in terms of like gas. Oh, I'm just like, they must be around here somewhere. 
Um, but anyways, I filed a police report and that entire day I'm taking care of insurance, this and that. And I was told that like, if your car does not, if they don't like, uh, find your car within like the first three days, it is more likely to be gone than not. Mm. So it got stolen and I came into project carbon X to, and I was just like, all right, you really got to hit this out of the park <laughs> because like I need to find a balance in the universe, you know, like I can't have two duds in one week. Um, but I, you know, the crazy thing was, um, my, my car's actually been recovered. Oh, it has. But did you know yet when you yeah. started the race? No, I didn't find out until Tuesday, uh, after, uh, project carbon X two. Where'd they find it? I, you know, I got a call. It was, a. Uh, 1230 in the morning oh. and it said no caller ID and it just felt so ominous and I had like weird goosebumps you know because mm. like nobody nobody gets a call at 1230 in no. the morning and ha- and it says no caller ID right right so I like answer my phone and there's like a brief pause and it's very staticky mm. they're like is this Raj Paul Panu and I was just like I'm sorry, who's calling? <laughs> They're like, Colorado police, we've recovered your car. We've recovered your car. And I was just like, no way. And uh, they told me that the person that stole the car was trying to cash a welfare check. And the, the person who handles the welfare checks in the welfare department uh, tipped to the police that the person cashing it in like something was up with them in terms of like their like behavior or how they were like acting. So anyways, they tip they tip to the police, they give a tip to the police and the police comes over and they find this individual um, in my car shooting up heroin. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they found this person and they like checked the, the V the license registration plates and um, the VIN number. They're like, wait a minute, this does not match. So the woman just told me that, you know, this person has essentially been living in my car for a week, like doing drugs. Wow. And I asked them, I like asked them the state of my car. And she was just like, it is not good. There's (laughs) his clothes are like all over the place. There's their needles like and, you know, still, it's it's still a huge win for me. I'm just like, you know what? I I have a car. uh it's better than nothing, um, but it's currently um, insurance is handling that ordeal. But, you know, in, in the time of a pandemic, like the, the last thing I want to do is like sit in my car, you know, mm-hmm. or like take care of that. But it's currently in Denver, Colorado, uh, in a storage facility. But long story short, I got my car back. So <laughs> there is a sense of relief. Oh, my gosh. Well, and how sad. I mean, just sad that that person has come to that point in their life, but I'm glad that you did get your car back. Yeah, no, definitely. And it's, uh, it, it, I mean, it, that was just a, a whole ordeal in itself. And mm-hmm. as a result, I'm a, I'm a, honestly a very careful person. Yeah. And I felt like I took a calculated risk. Yeah, you know? yeah, like, for sure. I feel like 99 times out of 100, something like that wouldn't happen, you know? 
Oh, 100%. I do stuff like that all the time. People are always shocked. Like, I'm always the one rolling the dice. I don't go to the gym anymore because I just, we don't go to the gym anymore because of COVID and everything. But, like, I was always the person that never locked my stuff. I'm always leaving stuff out. Like, I'm always, I'm always a little bit too trusting of pretty much everybody. Yeah. And it, it's just, well, it's just interesting because, like, if you're a little too trusting or, you know, if you're not as careful, like somewhere down the line, you can like something like this can just really set you back, you know? So it's like you kind of like there's a way to like be careful, but not be paranoid. And oh, I think I'm so sure. like into that. Yeah. I mean, we we park our cars um, in our backyard. It has like a it's like you come in through a back garage and you shut the garage door to pull through and our cars like in our yard closed in. But sometimes we park in the front and I always leave my car unlocked when I park in the front because I'm like, I would rather someone get in and steal whatever they want to steal and just, you know, take everything valuable out than break my window and have to deal with like a broken window. That's my strategy. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what I've come to find out to be effective. I was uh, getting lunch with a good friend of mine in Oakland and, you know, it's not uncommon to have car theft or like broken windows. And he left all of his windows down. Yeah. And he drives a really nice car. And he just told me like, hey, if you leave your windows down, you're essentially just letting them know not to like, there's nothing, you in know, here. not to break in. Yeah. There's literally nothing in. Here. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay. Well, let's talk about the race. I'm going to read your uh, Instagram post. I, I put it on my Instagram today. Not sure how to put into words, but I just wanted to prove that you don't have to look a certain way, come from a certain background or have a certain body type to run. What exactly does that mean to you coming off this race and, and these recent successes? Uh, it, it means a lot of things. Um, I, I feel like if you're a person of color in endurance running, at least in the U.S., I, I feel like there's subtext whenever you tell a starting line. Mm. Like, I, I feel like it, you're like telling a, your own personal narrative. And but that narrative is kind of like open to interpretation for the most part. But you feel like the audience has a general understanding as to like what you're depicting, like when you're on the starting line. So that's that's one thing to that I like really hold or grasp onto. Um, but I, I, like I'm, I'm obviously like I just don't look the type, mm. you know. Like I feel like I don't look like the standard uh, prototypical runner, endurance runner, especially in the ultras, um, because there's not that much uh, BIPOC representation um, in the ultra world. Mm -hmm. So for me personally, uh, I feel like it's like kind of like my own way to express an act of rebellion to demonstrate, you know, to like show that like, I'm not like some individual that's like boxed in or feels that he's like boxed in and that my like subtext is depicting something where like, I'm kind of just like fighting those said notions um, of like feeling like I'm boxed in or um, like just like going against the grain, you know, as to like what that, it looks like. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things too. When 
you see someone who looks like you doing something, you're more likely to think you can do it. And I'm talking about like, you know, a little kid, like a 10 year old or a 15 year old seeing you on the start line thinking, oh, it's not just a bunch of white people at the start line. And I think that's obviously one of the really big ways we can um, bring more people to the sport who don't all look the same. What do you think um, would be important and how, how can the, the, the broader ultra community, what can we do to make the sport feel more inclusive? Um, that's a really good question. I, I feel like the introduction to endurance sports starts at the youth level mm. uh, for the BIPOC community. And to be honest, the sport in itself is incredibly welcoming. However, at least on the youth level, like just being a, I'm a first generation Indian American. And I feel like for like the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the first thing, the, the first things that you need are like food, shelter and clothing, you know, before like you kind of like climb that pyramid of like self-actualization. The only reason why I'm talking about this is that like endurance sports, you know, something like long distance running in the greater essence, it's kind of like trivial, meaning that like, mm. you know, you, you kind of need your basic necessities, uh, your basic necessities essentially have to be met before like you even have like an uh, equal opportunity to like pursue uh, endurance sports, you know, like on the youth or high school levels. And there is a disparity between, you know, urban schools and their resources that are invested into like a sport like cross country, you know, versus like, um, a, like a private school or a school in a, like a very, uh, like, a, you know, in a, where like the socioeconomic status or like, you know, the living wage or the earning wage is like very high, you know, for sure. Um, so there's that natural disparity. And as a result, the, the kids in urban communities, they're not going to like running camps during the summer they're not counting the mileage on their shoes. They're counting like months, you know, before they could like get a new pair of shoes. So things like that creates like a, a, a bridge. So I'm, I always told, and I remember just trying to get recruited in high school. I ran like a 932 two miler, which isn't, which isn't D1 worthy. Like most D1 schools are not going to contact you, mm-hmm. but coaches need to understand like, Hey, like, what's their like ceiling really like what's their background really like who is coaching them like yes. did they have the resources you know so sometimes coaches or college coaches look at times and they're like hey we want this 920 kid but that that 920 kid might have been running cross country since middle school and went to running camps and you know had had parents that were like all in for their like running endeavors versus like a kid that just started very late and is like trying to get their bearings together. You know, I, I would, if I had to invest into one kid or the other, it would be the latter because I feel like that kid's feeling is just, okay, you're like 12 seconds off. But if you really get to know that kid and where they come from, um, who coached them and what their attitude's like, you know, there's just so many dimensions to that. I don't think that's really talked about very much. I've been hosting this podcast for four years and I don't really remember having a conversation like this. I mean, 
I've definitely had lots of conversations about, you know, kids coming up to college and just being already burnt out because they've been running 50 mile weeks in high school and, and whatnot. But I've never really talked about that specifically, you know, like the kid that just has his potential or her potential is totally untapped because of circumstances. Wow. Um, Talk about that a little bit, though, because uh, I want to hear, you know, I know a little bit about your backstory with deciding you wanted to get healthy and start running in high school. Um, and your father mm-hmm. passed away when you were so young of a heart attack and that kind of being an inspiration to your journey to living a healthy lifestyle. So can you walk us back to that time in your life when you decided to take charge? Yeah, sure thing. Um, sophomore year, I was almost 200 pounds and there wasn't much, I didn't have a lot going on for me. And I just did not have the greatest eating habits. And it was like Sunday night. I just remember I was, I remembered snacking on Cheetos <laughs> and like watching TV, just glued to the television. Um, and my mom, she lowered her voice and she expressed her concerns for me. And she told me like, Hey, like I'm worried about you. Um, your dad had a heart attack when he was 40 and passed away. Uh, your family has a history with heart disease. And this was like months before I like really decided to like make a change. But I kept that, you know, I I held that on. I held on to that. And it was the, it was New Year's Eve of 2006. And so I ripped the back of a, of a cereal um, box. So I just like ripped the cover of a cereal box and I took out a Sharpie. And I just decided to write specific goals. Hmm. And I wrote several goals. But the two goals that stood out was to lose 45 pounds. I don't know why I decided 45 pounds, but I think I just chose a random number. (laughs) And I told myself that I want to break, I believe it was 620 in the mile. That's not slow. Given That's not slow at all. And, you know, like looking back, like despite being a heavier set kid, like I was still able to run a a mile in under eight minutes. Um, And I was honestly very active, but I just had such a terrible uh, diet or eating habits. I just had incredibly terrible eating habits. But anyways, those were the two goals that stuck out. So uh, January 1st, 2007 uh, rolled in and I had... I, I I honestly did not have like the greatest diet, but I was uh, come to realize like I was just like starving myself in terms of like, you know, it's 2007. So people still are trying to understand like what is a proper healthy diet. But I was eating like uh, Weight Watchers meals, eat like consuming protein bars at lunch, eating like fruits, this and that. But it was so much better than what I was doing. And within a couple of months, I lost about 45 pounds. Literally by like the third week of February, I think I got down to like 150 or so. And I was running the PE mile each week. My progression was just naturally linear. Like first, like I was PRing 10 or so seconds each week. And obviously just losing weight helped a lot too. That just gave me this like spirit momentum that I took into spring break. And where I come from, people don't really go for jogs. 
Uh, definitely none of my friends go jogging either. But I remember uh, watching a, a random Tylenol commercial about this guy. And he was just like, I like to run until I get lost. Mm. And I was like, you know, that's not a bad idea. So spring break of 2007. And I go for my first run outside of a track. And I ended up running. I, I, I ran or I jogged slash walked slash stopped like a total of like five miles. And it took me a couple hours. But that was like my first run that was longer than a mile. And I was just dead for like the next few days. It's wild that a Tylenol commercial spoke to you in that way. I mean, that like that's a Tylenol commercial is part of this story. It, it, it's crazy. It, it's it, it's really crazy looking back at it and how like one random commercial about a person just running until they got lost. And, it, and it's just interesting. Like, I, I really don't remember like what, like that's what inspired me, but I don't know like why it spoke to me or resonated with me so well. Wow. Um, also crazy that, you know, you set that goal to run one six sub 620 mile and you just ran 62 miles at 6.15 pace. <laughs> Wild. Yeah, no, I, I would have never imagined. I, I really would have never imagined. And looking back at it, um, it was a short-term goal that I was just heavily invested in. And I feel like sometimes people will set goals years down the line, and uh, which is great. You know, we all need goals and we all need something to strive to or strive forward to. Um, but sometimes if you set a goal that's just so close to you and you're just naturally going to get invested into that goal. And when you reach it and you succeed, naturally like opportunities are going to open up. Did like you, as crazy as that may sound. Yeah. Did you, I was just, so I have another podcast. It's a parenting podcast. Um, and I was just interviewing someone else about goal setting with with your kids, something that I would like to do. Uh, I haven't really figured out the best way to do it with my kids. My oldest son is eight and he's a little bit hot headed and like, doesn't ever want to sit down for anything. Um, so, but anyway, my question in regards to that is, did you have anybody in your life that, that taught you how to goal set or was that just like out of nowhere? You were like, I'm going to set some goals for myself. No, not at all. Um, I played youth, like I played soccer until I believe like the fifth grade in terms of like organized sports. And then I had one stint of playing basketball, like in the seventh grade. Um, and to, to put things into perspective now in schools and I'm a teacher, uh, we work with our kids, like setting, uh, process goals, mm. you know, like typically you'll like talk to a kid. And if you're like lecturing your kid, like, hey, like, if they got bad grades, like, your grades are bad, like, what are you going to do? They're naturally just going to say, like, oh, I'm going to get better grades. And then your next question is like, okay, how so? They're like, I'm going to study hard. And more times than not, unfortunately, uh, they, they don't succeed at their goals or that specific goal. And some of them do, you know, they like study hard and they're just like, oh, like that just means more time studying. But you kind of have to ask like specific goals, like, or you have to ask, or you have to ask essentially guiding questions in which they scope out process goals from themselves for themselves. Mm, okay. So if they're like, 
they're like, well, I'm going to study harder. And they're like, how so? Or you're like, how so? So you're kind of like scoping in until you entice them to like really ask uh, a metacognitive like question for themselves. Like, wait, hold on. How am I going to like study harder? And sometimes they'll reflect and be like, you know what? Like I've been watching too much TV. Like maybe a process goal that relates to me getting better grades is uh, spending less time watching TV or, hey, like I'm going to sit down for an hour and read. So that hour of reading is a process goal that serves the goal of studying harder, you know? Yeah, for sure. So share with us a little bit about what that going to college process looked like. I was doing a little research and I loved what you shared about you know, like everybody wants that big D1 experience like that is so like that's put on a, on a pedestal. And, you know, you personally got those letters from D1 coaches that said, hey, your your times just aren't there. Like you're just not fast enough for this program. Um, talk a little bit about the beauty in going to a D3 program or like a junior college route or something like that. I mean, I mm-hmm. remember not getting accepted to a lot of colleges, not, I'm not talking about athletics, just academically and being embarrassed and like wanting to do what all my friends were doing. And the thought of going to an Ivy tech or something felt embarrassing to me at that time. I think times are changing now and people are looking at that differently. Uh, but yeah, share a little bit about your experience and thoughts in that. Absolutely. I, I feel like, uh, you know, in high school, your senior year, uh, your friends, um, your classmates, start to wear sweaters that say UCLA or Stanford or um, whatever college that they're going to attend. And it it kind of like entices you to like, you know, like figure out what you want to do for obvious reasons. Um, But during that time, my grades weren't the greatest, but I felt like my out or like my opportunity or a door opening up for me was like, Hey, like maybe I can get a scholarship, uh, to a local college and run four years. Um, And I was just fascinated with going D1 because I felt like that was like the pinnacle naturally. And I, so uh, long story short, after I had lost that weight, I joined cross country junior year and then senior year I made it to state. Um, And I, I ran decent at state and I, I personally started to reach out to coaches local coaches uh, within the Bay Area uh, that coached D1 cross country. And I had invitations to visit the the campus um, with another group, with like a group of athletes. And I would notice that I wouldn't really get, from from one school in particular, uh, the coach was not giving me the time of day Mm. um, as we were were doing uh, the campus visit. And uh, I really wanted to go to the school badly. And uh, in the end, I received a walk-on invitation, which meant that I wasn't going to get any scholarship money. But I also visualized myself making the team and eventually made, like getting a scholarship down the line. And this was in, uh, or I was going to go to uh, a four-year school or was scheduled to 
uh, on the in the fall of 2009, which was one year after that uh, fall of 08 recession. So I didn't get any scholarship offers. I did get a walk on tryout. And the coach also gave me a warning. He's like, hey, like, you can you can try out, but nothing's guaranteed. And I remembered uh, taking care of, like, going to the financial aid office and getting a loan for the school, you know. And as, like, an 18-year-old, you're like, oh, wow, this is, like, this is, like, free money for me to use. <laughs> uh, and at that time, uh, the school's tuition was, like, $20,000 a year or so. And I did not declare any major or anything. I had no clue, like, what I wanted to study. And I got a phone call from my high school track coach. And he was like, Raj, do not go to that school. Please do not go to that school. You're going to regret it mm-hmm. down the line when you have a, when you, when you're like heavily in debt, mm-hmm. um, just from getting a four year degree, you know? And he told me, and he himself was a valedictorian at his junior college, um, and he got a full scholarship after spending two years at Contra Costa Community College to play football at UC Davis. He just like told me, like, hey, like you're gonna, like you're gonna thank yourself for taking the junior college route, and a sport like track or swimming, like sports that are like time specific you really don't need to go D1. You just have to be in the right program. So for instance, like if you're a D3, and there are amazing D3 runners, like if you're a D3 uh, runner that's like running a 15-minute 5K or whatever, and you're competing against a D1 runner that's a 15-35K at an open invite, like that D3 runner is still faster than that D1 runner, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. So like the divisions don't speak, but the, but your time speak for itself. So I finally realized like, Hey, like, you know what? We're, we're all doing the same thing. We're all running. I just need to be taken care of on the junior college level. And so I went to junior college um, and I did really well. And I eventually got a scholarship to run uh, at St. Mary's college, which, uh, is a D1 program. And you did well. Like you held lots of school records and um, you found lots of success in that. I mean, it's one of those things too, when you're you're 18, you think this like one decision in your life is going to be like the end all be all. And you don't realize in 10 years, you're going to look back and, and you could have made a completely different decision that that is way better, you know, for you in the future. But at that moment, an 18 year old kid thinks it's this or nothing. You know, I was thinking when you were talking about this too, lots of, lots of great runners come from D3 programs. Have you been on, I guess if junior college is different than D3 though, right? Or am I wrong? Yeah. Junior college is different um, than D3. It's at least in California. Okay. Um, And obviously in California, junior college is like, hey, like I go to, cl- I drive from home to class, yeah, go to my classes, maybe stay at the college for practice, and then I eventually drive back home. But there's there's really not much of a disparity between 
some junior colleges and D3 and to a degree, some like D2 programs. Like there are some amazing junior colleges uh, with amazing resources that can set you up for success to transfer and get your degree. And also, I mean, one thing to note, like you're, when you go to a four-year school, you're taking, you're still taking undergraduate classes um, that are the exact same thing as like what you're doing for a two-year school. Mm-hmm. The only difference is that that two-year school is significantly cheaper I mean, I I do think times are changing. I mean, I feel like even when by the time my kids get to college, things are going to people are going to be taking a lot that into consideration a lot more. Um, I was just going to give a shout out to Noah Drotty's podcast, D3 Glory Days, because he's got a great show where he interviews former D3 runners. Um, So I was like, have Mm -hmm. you been on that podcast? But technically you weren't a D3 runner. No, I was junior college and then to D1. Yeah. But I think that's that's an amazing I mean, that's really cool that he's doing something like that. And, you know, once again, like it really doesn't matter um, when it comes to a sport that's like very time, you know, like time specific, like track or swimming. Like you if you run, if you run a faster time than a D1 runner, you're faster than that D1 runner, you know, as opposed to like a team sport like football, like you can be putting up or let's just say like take basketball for instance like you might like if you're dropping 30 points a game uh for like a d3 school it's not going to be weighted similarly as if like you were playing against d1 uh, competition you know but like if you run a time like like you are a byproduct of or you represent that time that you ran you know so Hey friends, a quick break here to give you a last minute push to go sign up for the Donna Marathon weekend. The Donna Marathon supports those who are walking through breast cancer. They have a care line and they're answering calls to help people who need financial, emotional assistance through this time. They've had a huge influx in calls during the pandemic. And when you run the race, you are directly supporting the Donna Foundation. It's virtual this year. It's the weekend of February 12th through the 14th, so you just got another week. There's a 5K, a half marathon, a marathon, and an ultra distance. I'm doing the half, my little neighborhood loop here. You all can save $5 when you go to breastcancermarathon.com and use the code Lindsay5 and know that your registration will support the Donna Foundation. I also just wanted to mention on Friday, February 12th, there is a conversation I had in collaboration with the Donna Foundation, and that is with Alicia Montano, Steph Bruce, and Sarah Vaughn, a fearless mother-runner conversation where we really just talk about running and motherhood and our passion for both of those things and how we all navigate that. That is going to be at their at the Donna Foundation's virtual seminar. So you have to RSVP, but anybody can watch it and listen. I'm going to put the link to get registered to RSVP to show up uh, in the show notes of this episode at lindsayhine.com. That will also be emailed to your inbox if you're subscribed to our newsletter. So make sure you're subscribed. Um, you can subscribe on my website, lindsayhine.com. There's a little pop-up. Or email emma at sandyboyproductions.com if you'd like to be added to the weekly newsletter over there, which gives you the show notes every week. So if you listen and you're like, oh, I meant to look up this book they talked about or whatever, those are then delivered to your inbox every single Friday. So you never miss out on what we talk about on the show. 
Uh, all right, friends, enjoy the rest of my conversation with Raj Paul. What a gift that your coach gave you to give you that advice. What was what was your mom saying in all this? She was supportive. She was incredibly supportive. Um, she drove me to recruiting trips in San Francisco, uh, Sacramento, um, and she finally saw me like really hitting my stride in terms of like finding something that I'm good at that I'm investing my time into. So I like, I think just being a first generation Indian American, like, like seeing that, like your son's getting like, at least like, uh, being asked to visit colleges is still like a huge deal in itself. Mm. So I think we both overlooked like student debt yeah. or like, or tuition because we're like hey like you're going to college and that's a good thing you know like a very black or white perspective yeah so your your mom lives in the united states but the rest of your extended family lives in india correct that is correct yeah um i'm actually here i'm well i'm currently living in denver but i'm visiting my mom um in the bay area uh and i grew up in hercules california which is 20 miles north of oakland Nice. So do you, I know obviously this past year because of the pandemic, probably not, but do you get back to India to visit family? I visit every other year. Okay. That's typically my goal. Um, my family lives in northern India, uh, a place called Punjab, and it's, uh, my family are farmers. Okay. They're like hardworking farmers. And it's just a, it's a nice juxtaposition from uh, the lifestyle that I'm living out here. Um, and I really, I really enjoy the simplicity when I do visit. Yeah. So did your parents grow up in India? They both grew up in India and uh, they both immigrated um, right before I was born in uh, 1990. Okay. I wonder as you get older and you know, so you're born in 1990. So what does that make you? Th uh, how old are you? I'm actually, well, I'm turning 30 next month. I was born in 91 of February. Okay. Turning 30. How does that? Yeah, right. Yeah. Tell, I'm 37. Tell me, tell me your feelings on turning 30. It, it's so weird because um, I remember when I turned 23, I was like, whoa, like I'm turning 30 in seven years. <laughs> and and like 15 or like like turning 16 was like yesterday for me. So mm -hmm. I was like doing this like weird math in a sense where I was just like, sure. Wow. Like 30 is going to be tomorrow, quote unquote. Um, but, you know, like I'm, as I'm turning 30 next month, I really don't have any anxieties. I'm very like I'm very satisfied or like I'm content as to like where I'm at in life and like what I'm doing and uh, just doing or like performing at PCX2 uh, kind of like uh, diminished any said anxieties that I might have had about turning 30 um, because, like, you know, like it, it, it's really sometimes you'll ask existential questions that's like, hey, like, where am I at? Mm -hmm. Like, what am I doing? Um but like, you know, to like accomplish or to like run a hundred K and it being like your breakout race the month before you turn 30, like it just puts things into perspective in the sense that like my life is not over, you know, uh, as like, a, 
as I might have thought for some weird particular reason when I was like 23 years old. But I'm turning 30 next month. I feel great. I honestly don't feel like I've really reached my potential both physically or just uh, or mentally in the sense of like how I perceive myself in this like space. For sure. I know. I have this like weird obsession. Maybe it's not weird. Maybe more people have it than I think. But like just with age and and just like seeing timestamps on on when things are done. And I'm sure that felt very rewarding to hit a really big goal and accomplishment right before a, a turning an age that tends to be like a marker you know anytime there's a zero on the end of the age it's like okay here we're entering a new a new uh, era here in, in in our lives but as I've talked to so many amazing runners on this podcast like in particular I think of um, Robert, Roberta Groner who was running like 229 marathons at 42 I I've really mm-hmm. been able to like step back from the age thing a little bit and just be like okay you're as physically and uh, you're as physically healthy and mentally healthy as you can be right now in your life regardless of how old you are so like focus on that feeling over the age but you know as I creep up to 40 in three years I can't help but kind of obsess over the number you know that's totally fair and um you know at least in endurance sports my my personal belief is that your peak is not until your mid to late 30s. And for some, it might be like until they're like early 40s, simply because if you stay consistent, you know, with your training, with the volume through time, like you're just naturally going to get better as a result of it. The only caveat is like staying healthy. Mm-hmm. So if you if you can just be on top of your game, taking care of your body in a, in an essence like uh and i i really feel like things like like uh resistance training like working on mobility like that goes hand in hand with the volume that you can manage and so if you stay injury free and you like keep doing this for the next several years like your your peak in my opinion is not is really not until you're like the the time the ages that i've said yeah the catch is just being on top of those little things that you can like so easily like uh, put off, you know? Oh, for sure. A hundred percent. You got to, the older you get, the more, the more of that side work you really just have to do. It's like a, it's like a non-negotiable for sure. Yeah, definitely. And, but it's not always necessarily age. Sometimes it's just like the volume that you're doing through time. Right. Yeah. In correlation, like the work that you need to do to like supplement or like to create that durability that supports um, your body. Do you do a lot of extra, like outside of running? Do you do a lot of 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 lifting or plyometrics or resistance training? Definitely before uh, before I like really get my volume or like my mileage up, um, whatever amount of time that I typically do doing that is dedicated to. Uh, like resistance training body like uh working or like doing um working with like your own body weight Mm -hmm. and uh, also i i got into uh i got into nunchaku uh which is like swinging swinging nunchucks so i like early on i would just practice that type of martial art uh just to supplement cross training because you kind of have to have really good posture or else you're gonna get whacked with it 
Um, so I, 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 I kind of just made it fun for myself and I would like interval it with like planks. And that's what I've come to find out that, uh, that like something like that, that's like very abstract or just like very like uh, left field just works for me. I saw that on your Instagram. I have it in my notes to bring up actually. And I think that's <laughs> so fun. I'm like, you know, people complain about cross training and it's like, well, find something that works for you. Like there's, I don't know any runner that has ever said they took up nunchaka for their cross training until you. And it's like, you didn't, that didn't just like fall into your lap. You seeked it out. I, I seeked it out and it was kind of just like a moment of clarity. I'm like, it, it, as like a runner or at least from my personal journey, when I'm doing like cross training or if I'm doing like a injury prevention exercises like lunges or planks or where things that need really good posture. And I'm like trying to like at least build my like uh tolerance in the sense of like um adding minutes or seconds to like my workout. Typically I'll compensate with a, a lack of like good posture mm. or there'll be days like after a long run, you're just like, Oh my gosh, I just need to get this over with. And it, naturally you're just not going to like really focus on those muscle parts and you're, you might just have a bad, you might just have bad posture as a result of it. But, um, I was like, I just, I, I just randomly started, uh, or I, you know, I was watching Bruce Lee swing nunchucks and his posture is amazing and his physique is amazing. And I'm just like, wait a minute, this is literally a tool where if your posture is not right, you're going to screw yourself over it, it. Like it might sound a little over the top, but it's personally helped me a lot. And doing something fun like that, I, and if I get bored of that, I can just go immediately into like doing a plank after. So that's one thing that I've like really changed. It, nothing's like really, uh, like it's not very uh, monotonous. Like my cross training, as to like what I do, it's, it's a lot funner. And, and I felt like I've like really benefited as a result of it. That's awesome. Do you look up to Bruce Lee? Is he a role model of yours? He, oh my gosh, he is my idol for sure. Mm. Um, he, uh, uh, to put things into perspective, I think what really got me going for ultra running was watching this documentary um, called Be Like Water. And people know Bruce Lee as like a, a movie star, but they like go into his background and he, he himself was born in San Francisco, but he was raised in Hong Kong. And eventually he immigrated back to uh, the United States. But long story short, he was a small statured Asian man trying to break into Hollywood. And during that time of like the James Deans and um, mm. the John Waynes, there was no leading Asian man in Hollywood. And uh, a lot of them played very stereotypical roles. So, like, the documentary just explores how Bruce Lee broke into Hong Kong and the the type of subtext, you know, that he was uh, curating, like, what it meant to be an Asian American in cinema during that time, like, uh, and how it went against things like the model minority myth and... Uh, and like how like Asians themselves were uh, perceived in Hollywood in itself. So that in itself was just a huge deal. Uh, and also just he was an innovator in martial arts where 
at least traditionally, you did not, you only practiced the style in which you were preached uh, about. So for instance, if you're in a gung fu school, you strictly practice gung fu, but you don't practice karate. And Bruce Lee was the first uh, martial artist who didn't believe in a set style. You can take many styles and incorporate it into your work. So he, not only was he practicing different martial arts, but he also like got into weightlifting. He practiced, uh, or he like studied, uh, Western fencing, boxing, and he, he incorporated all these things into, into martial arts in itself. And it kind of just made me reflect. I'm like, Hey, like, you know, to a degree, sometimes training for a race can be so traditional. It can be so black and white. Like, why not take styles like outside of running in itself and incorporate it? And so I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to practice nunchaku. Like, it is so left field, but there are some things that are very transparent to running and to some of these exercises that you're doing. And it's also fun. That's so cool. I, that's so cool. Somebody has to pave the way always. And, you know, it's like Bruce Lee at that, you know, back in the day when he was doing all those things, he probably knew in his heart he was doing something that was going to be, you know, world changing. But you don't you don't know what the outcome's going to be. You know, you don't know that Raj Paul, you know, 50 years or 60 years later is is watching your work and being inspired to take that craft to what you per, you know what he pursues in in his own life it's just like so cool to think about the impact that he's still making every single day yeah no absolutely and um he his uh his brother and his daughter still uh, speak or refer to him in present text mm. in uh, present tense sorry i'm butchering my words um me too <laughs> but anytime it's totally fair um a- anytime shannon lee his daughter anytime she's being interviewed she introduces her father in present tense and it's such a juxtaposition as to like how the west views somebody passing on mm. because you know we'll say like oh they're gone or they're they're not here or you know they were a great person but outside of the west what i've come to find out if anybody's had a significant impact on you they'll they'll refer to that person in present tense because they're like they're still living on in in a way, you know? Wow. So cool. I could talk forever about this kind of stuff, and I find it so fascinating, and I appreciate yeah, no, your sure. insight. Uh, I appreciate you for sure, and I was also like, man, this is a really good interview, and we have not touched PCX2. <laughs> I know. We have like 25 minutes left. So I know. I was like, this is too fun. Um, you and And also, for the listeners – uh, Raj Paul is a teacher and he has to get on and teach his students in like 25 minutes. So um, let's move to, and I want to talk about the teaching a little bit too, but let's move to the race. So to catch everybody up, Raj Paul debuted the marathon in 217 at CIM and went on to run the Olympic trials this past, well, I guess it was last year in 2020. But let's talk about the actual your debut in the 100K for the 62-mile race at this project. What were your goals going into this race specifically? Uh, well, I wanted to run a 612, which is exactly six-minute flat pace. Okay. 
and the world record was 609 and some change. And um, all these runners, there were about five runners that really wanted to go after the world record. And everyone else essentially wanted to break the American record, which is 627.15. And there were literally just two groups. And I told Mike McManus, uh, who's the global marketing director of Hoka One One, like, hey, Mike, like, I'm a lot fitter than American record pace, but I'm just not there at world record pace. And he just like gave me this quizzical look and he was just like, you know, you should probably just latch on to American record pace. And so I was kind of just, I, I, you know, I was very hesitant leading up to the race in itself um, as to like what I wanted to run specifically um, until I ran into Jim Walmsley in the hotel. And Jim himself is just an absolute student of the game Mm. um you know he lives and breathes his work and he studied the 100k and ultra running in itself and he was just like he was very specific he told me that uh at least two people are not going to finish within that world record pace group they're not going to finish the race and then he also just told me to, uh, I don't remember what specific article, but he essentially sent me an article about the history of the 100K and how the 609 in itself was actually wind-aided. Um, oh. The person that ran 609, yeah, so the person that ran 609 uh, ran it with the wind with him. And so it was wind-aided, and he probably... If he were to convert it, he probably would have ran like 613 or 614 or so. I'm not sure. But anyways, that, you know, that time in itself was just, you know, it's a mountainous task to like really tackle that. I don't think many people really gave respect to it. And so I just like, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm not going to go world record pace. I'm just going to go a little bit faster than American record pace. And I was just like, you know what, like, I think I have an outside chance of making top three. Uh, I really felt like Jim himself was like head and shoulders in uh, head and shoulders, like above those that were going with him at that pace. Mm-hmm. And I, I just like, I was just like, you know what? Like, I don't think many people are going to survive this attempt uh, or the, yeah, survive this attempt. And the PCX two in itself is a, is a nine, it's a nine lap course. So Anytime you have the wind with you, you're going to have the wind against you. And we did not get to preview the course. So I felt like I, for, I just had this like weird intuition that more than two people along with Jim who told me that as well, too, like, we're just not going to make it. And I was just like, you know what? Like, if I can just stir on the side of caution, I can I can perhaps have an, a top three performance. So that was my specific goal for PCX2 top three. And okay. to break the American record. Okay. How many people ended up going out with Jim? Five people went out, not including the Pacers. Okay. And so then yeah. you're targeting this American record pace. How much of the race do you run with other people and how much of it do you run alone? I ran me and one uh, Swedish runner um, latched onto a Pacer uh, that was, and that was the, that was essentially the chase pack behind the world record group. Everyone else 
was literally on pace for the American record in itself. I also understood that if I ran, if I at least tried to attempt uh, 10 minutes faster than the set American record, that time can also be used for bathroom breaks or uh, if I'm not running uh-huh. the tangents properly or if I like slowly fade away. Um, so I was just with that group exclusively. And so I decided to go for 10 minutes, let's like a 617 um, with Ben Robinson. And Ben himself stuck with us for 22 miles. The, the Pacers had uh, options to run 22 miles uh, to, or to run upwards to the 50K. After that, you're on your own. But the, but the purpose for that is to like, if you run with them, uh, you can at least get a course preview and like how you can run the tangents a little better okay. or else you're going to run longer than what you expect. So you run the 628.31, which is a, l- a little bit off that American record that you were going for, but it does put you at the third fastest all-time American at that distance now. We have Jim Walmsley, obviously, who was a heartbreaking 11 seconds off that world record. Um, and then that standing American record that was there and now now you. What does that mean to you? It, it means a lot, you know, And uh, to, but to be honest, I'm a little it's a little bittersweet. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What people don't know, what people don't know was that I had diarrhea when mm. I ran that race. It might be TMI, but I nah. used the bathroom upwards to, I believe seven times. Whoa. Uh, yeah. And it ultimately cost me the American record. And after the race in itself, you know, people, we, we had a very safe, social gathering from a distance Mm -hmm. uh, with masks and whatnot but I was hugging the toilet hours after the race in itself and I was just like what is going on Um, but long story short I was like calculating the time and there was about 5k left and I was like I am literally on American record pace but I just had to use the bathroom and I'm just like oh my gosh like I don't think I could hold on and so I found the last porta potty and it, it might have taken 30 seconds off or so, but ultimately, like, it, I felt like it, it kind of just, like, ended up costing me the record in itself. So it was, like, bittersweet in that sense. But in, the, like, in an overall perspective, doing this as, like, my first 100K attempt, I'm actually very, uh, I'm, I'm, like, satisfied because, like, you know, there's just so much more room, room for growth. Um, it's just unfortunate that the new American record is 609 and some change that my Jim Walsh <laughs> like. Thanks a lot, Jim. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, so there's no room for error, apparently, and, uh, <laughs> hopefully, um, I can get my bathroom breaks out of the way before the race in itself. Oh, well, yeah, I mean, that last bathroom break, for sure, but, like, all of them combined, for sure, killed the American record, um, did you do did you figure out was it something you ate or just like your stomach wasn't agreeing with you that day? We uh, the the night prior, we uh, so our our meals were fixed by Hoka and the hotel that we stayed at. Um but we also had a, an option to order uh order from a restaurant or whatever. But the night before uh we had the hotel was serving lasagna with meatballs. And uh, I, like, almost never eat that, but I kind of have, like, my own personal financial goals, and I, like, told myself, I'm like, you know what, I'm not going to eat out. So I, like, had this meal, and I was also talking to 
Carla Molinero, uh, a British runner who was going after uh, the British world record. And um, I was picking her brains because she's exclusively an ultra runner. And she told me like, hey, like, I eat six donuts the day before I race. (laughs) You know, so she was easing me up. And I I was just like, you know what? This lasagna is not a big deal. And um, so I had it. I woke up the morning of. I had my first bowel movement and I'm like, this is great. Like it's out of the way. Uh-huh. And, and then right before I left the hotel again, I had another one and I'm like, okay. And then it was like 15 minutes before the race. I had another one and I'm just like, um, okay, something's not right, but at least I'm like, you know, at least I'm like handling this before the race in itself. And, uh, after that, I, I was fine for an hour and a half, but I had to take like another one about 15 miles in. And then it really wasn't until after the 50K where I had five mile increments in which I was like constantly using the bathroom. What a bummer. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, just so you know, I feel like on a running podcast, everybody assumes there could be poop talk. So I don't think it's TMI at all. Would you have ever considered in the last 5K to be the guy that just lets it go and finish the race? You know, that image of there's a very popular image Uh on Google, like a marathoner. Uh And there's like brown liquid trickling (laughs) down his leg. And it's like, shoot, like, you know, like, he's probably an amazing runner. But if you were to Google his name, like, that's what you find that pops up, you know, so (laughs) like, I I really didn't want my, my life's work to be tied (laughs) to like me crapping my pants, you know, did that thought literally go through your mind with 5k to go that that literally went through my mind. (laughs) But I did play the devil's advocate. I'm just like, you know what, if I crap myself on TV, like maybe Huggies can give me a sponsorship. <laughs> like maybe we could work something. Here's the other question: Would you have done it if you were in first place, going for that world record, and you knew that that was on the line? Oh my gosh, that is an amazing question. Uh, <laughs> I, oh, I, I would have done it. I would have done it. Yeah. If I had to have diarrhea trickling down my legs as I'm like chasing this world record. Uh, I, I feel like people would res- like. I feel like people would just naturally overlook me crapping my pants and just be like, "Oh my gosh, this guy's a true gamer." He got the world record, uh, or he at least attempted the world record. You know, I, I would have for sure have like gone for that. But you know, I'm also a teacher, and I feel like if kids were to Google me, <laughs> you know, if that's like the first thing that pops up. I'm just like, "Oh my gosh!" Oh well, this is exciting. Do you think that? You are you going to go back to running fast marathons or are you kind of going to focus on the ultra life now? I'm going to focus more so on ultras. I have this like weird nerve impingement in my back mm. where like if I'm running five minute pace for several miles, my like left leg will like start to give out for some weird reason. Mm. And I'm currently working with chiropractors and massage therapists to take care of this. But essentially, I have like a very mild sciatica. Um, but crazy enough, I can run six minute pace and not have my leg give out. So as a result, I really just want to focus on ultras. Um, but I'm not done with the marathon in itself. Like if I can take care of the sciatica issue, like I would love to run a much faster marathon. 
um, because I feel like I'm due, I'm due for like a really strong race. Yeah. What do you learn from a guy like Jim Walmsley? You know, he's a, he's a great runner, but he's an even better person. Mm. Um, he, he himself, like, doesn't matter who you are. He'll, if you ask him a question, he'll stop, uh, and talk to you and give you a very thoughtful response, um, for one. And then two, he himself, he, he is respectful in every degree of the manner, meaning like he respects you as a person, but he also respects the work that he does and he respects the people that paved the way mm. before him. Um, so even like, I feel like what, what separated him from everyone else going into the race was that he actually respected the person that ran 609 and he studied that person. He understood like what that person did to like run that race, what the conditions were. So as a result, he wasn't too, he wasn't too hard headed in terms of like pursuing something like running sub six, you know, which is like nine minutes faster than the world record. Like, so that's Jim in an essence. Um, and then the second thing is that he's just a complete student of the game in every manner, like the way he approaches it, the volume that he puts in. And uh, you might see his workouts on Strava, but he doesn't, he for sure does that. And then some mm. in terms of like how he takes care of his body, you know? Mm, yeah, for sure. Before we do end a podcast, and we'll have to do those quick, obviously, because you've got your your class you got to get to. The Hoka is it Aggies? Is that how you say it? Am I saying it wrong? The the Hoka Aggies, that is correct. Yeah, they're a group based in Southern California, and they typically specialize in cross country and track. And you're a part of them. Does it, now? What does that look like? Is that more of a a gear sponsorship to, type of thing? Uh, it's more, it's like an Olympic development program okay. and, um, they have tiers of sponsorship. So if you qualify for the Olympic trials, um, you'll get a little bit more financial support and like gear. Okay. Um, and, uh, but it's open to anyone and everyone. So anyone can join the Hoka Aggies. Uh, and if you're performing well, or if you're hitting time incentives, or if you're making USA, uh, championships um you're gonna get more incentives from the aggies and hoka as well uh but it's a pretty traditional program and they've had uh i think they've had an olympian make it uh they've had a u.s national champion in the 1500 and sergio reyes who also pays he himself was a u.s champion in the marathon okay Um, so there have definitely been no shortage of amazing runners from the aggies so you you do that but you're also a teacher how difficult has that been um, navigating, you know, running really fast, but also not just being a teacher, but being a teacher in a pandemic? This has been a crazy year. You know, I'll say this much. You know, there, there are a lot of cons to for living in the pandemic in itself. But for me, myself, when I ran the Olympic trials, I was also working close to 50 hours and I was like commuting uh, upwards like an hour and a half. You know, like being in a school setting, you're kind of like running around like a headless chicken, making copies, kind of like gathering your students, uh, pacing in your classroom, making sure that kids are on task. But here now, like I don't have a commute. Um, I moved to Denver. So like school starts for me at 1030 versus like getting to campus at eight o'clock uh, on Pacific time. Um, and I'm not like I'm not like running around. I'm not pacing. I'm at home. 
I can take breaks where I can like stretch out, uh, foam roll, do a little bit of yoga in between classes. Uh, so it's honestly, it's benefited me a lot in a sense that I can put more time and effort into the running that I do. Um, so I've kind of made the pandemic work for myself. And I really hope, I really, really hope that people are taking advantage uh, on work, like into like working it or, or like investing into their craft, you know? Mm, um, yeah. If, because like a lot of times, like you'll talk to working professionals and a lot of these working professionals are not really, their identity does not resonate or their identity isn't the work that they do. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes a working professional might be a musician, an artist, this and that. But I feel like an uncommon narrative is like, hey, like if I wasn't working so much, I can like I would be doing so like I can be spending so much time like working on my art or I can be working on my music. And so when the pandemic hit, like I finally had this time and I'm just like, you know what, like you did decent or you did fairly well as like a runner training for the marathon, the Olympic trials. But you know what, let's do a little bit like let's like level up a little bit um and there was a book that really resonated for me it's called the war of art mm. by stephen pressfield long story short the message is very simple he's he talks about resistance and uh resistance is something that's like invisible so for instance if you're a writer and you're like trying to write this novel that you can like at least visualize like the end goal as to like what it looks like in its in its final form you have to fight like the invisible resistance. And for like a writer, it might be like sitting down and doing the work on a weekend. But resistance for that writer can be your friends calling you to like go out to the bars or your girlfriend asking you to like uh, spend some time with her, et cetera, et cetera. Obviously you need a balance, but I feel like a lot of people succumb to resistance and, you know, years go down the line and, you kind of like become uh, regretful because you didn't sit down and do the work. So I read that book. It really resonated for me. And I kind of just looked at running as like something that's very abstract, uh, that it's not black and white in the sense that like, hey, you're not a byproduct of your time, but what can we do and what narrative can we depict when we're like on the starting line? So all these things kind of just like came, fell into like place uh, for me to really have that breakout race for PCX2. That's so great. I love that. Yeah, I mean, I can't tell you how much time has been given back for my husband not commuting to work during the pandemic, and he's not going back into the office. Um, and I don't know that he would ever take a job that he had to go in at this point because it's just it's been so helpful for our family. And, like, doing the things that he loves to do that like he would normally be spending time in the car. And I'm talking about running and lifting weights and stuff. There's just so much more time for that. And look, there's a lot of people listening that probably don't have that experience or that opportunity. A lot of people in healthcare yeah. and things like that. But if that is your world um, and reality, I love that message so much to lean into that. Um, okay. I know we got to wrap because you got to get on your call. Um, I always wrap the podcast with what's one thing professionally or personally that you'd like to do that you haven't done yet. That is such a hard question. Um, I remember you sending it through an email as to like, what's one more thing that I'd like to accomplish. Um, honestly, and it might be very, like very simple, but my goal is to be 
running competitively when I turn 40 years old. I love to it. like still be in the game and to like still be competitive. Um, that's like, I feel like that's a great like end goal that I can have and I can just like focus on the little things that can lead up to it. Who's someone fun, motivating or inspiring you'd like to have coffee, tea or a cocktail with? Uh, I think I've uh, already referred to this person, but definitely Bruce Lee. I would just love to pick his brain. Yeah. Um, in a in a perfect world or scenario, I would I could probably talk to him and just like really ask him specific questions and like what he's done and like why he did those things. And what is your last message? Your one message you want to leave with our audience today? Find what works for you and really specialize into that work. Don't get uh, like don't lose focus trying to think of like a lot of things. Just focus on like one thing and really make that your work. So good. All right, Raj Paul, you go teach those students. Awesome. Thank you, Lindsay. Thank you for having me. Hey, friends. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Raj Paul, for coming on the show. Get yourself signed up for the Donna Marathon weekend, virtual weekend. Go to breastcancermarathon.com. Use the code Lindsay5 at checkout and grab yourself a pair of Gooder shades. Gooder.com slash another. Use the code another for 15% off. You can find Raj Paul. You should definitely follow him. His Instagram is great. He has lots of inspiring things to say. And I'm so excited to have a new person to follow and cheer along. So he is Light Ninja, R-A-J, on Instagram. You can also find me on Instagram. I am lindsayhine626. You can find me on Twitter, at lindsayhine. And I'm on Facebook. I'll have another podcast with Lindsay Hine where we have a group as well. Don't forget, you can learn more about the Sandy Boy Productions Network when you go to our Instagram page, Sandy Boy Productions, or look us up, sandyboyproductions.com. Thanks for being here. I so appreciate each and every one of you. Have a great rest of your Friday, a wonderful weekend. And as always, I will see you next Friday.